You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the first Sunday of Lent, March 10th, 2019. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, when I was a boy, my family often did our summer vacation as a camping trip. We had a little pop-up camper that we would tow behind our station wagon, and we would go see various places around this wonderful country of ours. And one summer, we went to the Grand Teton National Park, which is a beautiful place enormous mountains with snow-capped peaks, and we decided we were going to go on a a hike. There was a a nice-looking hike on the map. Uh, There was a a lake right at the base of one of these mountains called Jenny Lake, and there was a a loop trail that would go all the way around this lake. And so we set out to do this, uh, thinking we'd have a, a nice day hike and we'd come back for lunch when we were done. We didn't realize it was a seven mile hike. We thought it was maybe two miles. And so we start walking, and we start walking a little bit more, and we start walking a little bit more, and we're wondering why the trail hasn't gone a little bit faster and why we haven't gotten to our destination just yet. And we look across the lake, and we can kind of see where we left the car. We're about 3.5 miles in. It's the same distance that way as it is that way. And we were in trouble. We had no food with us. We had just one canteen of water apiece with us. There was a ferry boat that you could get on at about that 3.5 mile place and take it back to the other side of the lake. But we didn't have any money with us. We were stuck. And so we pushed through, we got to the end of the trail. We had a harrowing day and we have a great story to tell about it years later. But imagine what it would have been like for the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years is a long time. Just think for a moment, 
if you are 40 years old or older, what were you doing 40 years ago? It's a long period of time. A lot can happen in 40 years. That's how long the, the Israelites were in the wilderness. Walking, waiting, camping, breaking camp, gathering manna, same thing day in and day out. It was a long, hard journey, and it was filled with many temptations to turn back, to return to slavery in Egypt, or to abandon the Lord their God who had brought them so far. Sometimes being a Christian can be a hard thing. It might seem as though being a Christian means adhering to a set of impossible demands set forth by a detached God who simply sits back and watches us struggle. The rules, the commandments, they can seem burdensome. And it feels at times like we're unable to keep them. Like maybe it's even unfair that we're even asked to keep them in the first place. The temptation to sin is a very real part of our lives on a daily basis. And sometimes we don't do a very good job of facing up to these temptations and trying to prevail against them. We give in to the temptations. We give in to the sin. And Lent, which we're now in, this is the first Sunday of Lent, this season can intensify those feelings because Lent brings a greater awareness of our sinfulness and we also have the added temptation to break whatever Lenten disciplines we might have taken upon ourselves for this season. But here's the thing. God does not delight in our struggles. He delights in our victories over those struggles. He delights when we choose him instead of the cheap comforts that sin provides us. The fleeting comforts that, here are, that are here for a moment and then they're gone the next moment. God provides us lasting, sustaining comfort and lasting, sustaining peace that no sin can ever match. In fact, anytime we sin, we're really looking for the lasting, sustaining peace that only God can provide to us. And so God weeps when he sees us hurting or in pain or struggling, but he has a wide grin of pride on his face when he sees his children prevail against those struggles and when they don't turn away from him despite all of the odds. The prophet Ezekiel uh, speaks the words of the Lord to the people of Israel as they're struggling, as they're even giving in to sin and temptation. And in chapter 33, Ezekiel speaks these words of the Lord to the people. Thus you have said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, the Lord says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure in punishing us. God takes no pleasure in seeing us turn away from him, walk away from him, give in to temptation, succumb to sin. But he delights to see us turn back to him. 
And he's always ready for us to turn back to him. Always waiting for us with open arms, ready for us to repent, ready for us to return. He's not waiting to trip us up at the smallest little thing. He's waiting for us to come back to him. But it's worth asking, why even have these boundaries of morality in the first place? Why, why even have a difference between sin and not sin? Wouldn't it be easier if we could all just do what we want? In the Old Testament, it says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Meaning everyone decided for himself or herself what was right and what was wrong. In fact, when you go back to the, the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve take the fruit of that one tree that God told them not to eat, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What they were doing, in essence, was taking that fruit to say, I don't really want God to tell me what's right and what's wrong. I'd rather decide that for myself. Wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't that be a better way? I mean, even for God. God, then, he wouldn't have to, you know, make judgments about sin and not sin. He wouldn't have to try to, you know, steer us back on the right path. We could just all decide and then we could let it all, you know, pass as water under the bridge. If all these rules and commandments do is cause us to struggle and fail and feel guilty about ourselves, why not just change the rules? It seems easy for God to make these rules while he's sitting up there in heaven. But what if he were down here with us? What if he could experience just how hard it is to walk in the ways that he set forth for us? Well, for this, I have two responses. And the first is that God isn't just sitting out there aloof, waiting for us to be tripped up. He has actually come into this world and he's experienced everything that we experience. He's experienced every temptation that we experience, and yet without sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus who is God, has experienced every temptation that we face, and yet he's prevailed against sin. Jesus accomplished what none of us have ever been able to do, to live without sin. And so he's experienced it all firsthand. He knows what it's like to struggle. He knows what it's like to face temptation. And he has compassion for us because he loves us. And he knows how hard and how real those struggles actually are. And it's because he's faced those struggles that he's able to offer us mercy. He's offered himself in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. And it says that we can draw with confidence to the throne of grace. Grace is a free gift that he offers us. 
that we can draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that's the first response. The second response is that God didn't just arbitrarily set up these rules and commandments. God didn't just, you know, kind of willy-nilly draw boundaries between sin and not sin. God set up his commandments, his rules, his statutes for our good. Not to make it hard for us, but because he knows what's best for us. He created the world and he knows how it operates. And because of this, he has a pretty good sense of what works and what doesn't work. N.T. Wright, uh, we're studying one of his books in one of our Sunday school classes right now. He's a, an Anglican bishop and theologian and Bible scholar. And he says, the real answer to temptation is not, God will be angry if I do that, but if I do that, I will miss out on God's best for me. So when we're choosing not to sin, we're not avoiding sin because we're afraid God's going to be angry at us. We're avoiding sin because God has told us that would be the best thing for our lives. And as loving, trusting children, we follow him and we strive to obey. That's the far better approach. God has set up the boundaries of morality for our own good. And he himself has entered into this creation to experience it all and to give us the assurance that the boundaries that he set for us are practical, even if we don't want to believe it and even if we don't fully understand it. But that still leaves us wondering, how are we to prevail in the face of temptation? How are we to forge ahead when everything seems so bleak? How are we to choose the good when everything in us wants to choose sin? The lesson from Deuteronomy today talks about what happens to God's people on the other side of the wilderness. They had struggled for those 40 years in the wilderness like we already talked about. And even before they get into the promised land that was coming to them, God tells them what to expect when he gets there. And he tells them what to do when they get there. And so what we read in Deuteronomy is about something that's called the first fruits. The Lord commanded his people saying, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and you have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God has given you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose and make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Now you can imagine how the Israelites might be feeling at this point. 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years eating nothing but manna, fried manna, baked manna, dried manna, mushed manna, quail coming out your nose with manna. And they're finally in this land and they finally have fruit and produce. And the Lord wants them to give back some of what comes to them in that first season 
in that first crop. What is he thinking? God was asking them to remember that it was he who got them through the wilderness. That it was he who saved them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. That it was he who provided for them every step of the way. That it was he who caused their shoes not to wear out and the clothes on their backs to not get threadbare. God was the one who sustained them. God was the one who provided for them. God was the one who saved them. And so the first fruits, this offering back to God of the first produce of the land, was a reminder that it was God who sustained them and it was God who would continue to sustain them. Similarly, it was God the Father who brought his son, Jesus Christ, through the wilderness and saved him in the midst of temptation against Satan. This is kind of a confusing passage in some ways. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. We celebrate that uh, in early January on the feast of the baptism of our Lord. And immediately, it says, he was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. Why would Jesus need to be in the wilderness? Why would he need to be tempted by Satan? Well, again, Jesus has experienced every temptation that we experience, and he has prevailed. Jesus was in the wilderness facing temptation to do what we have not been able to do, to stand firm against temptation, to prevail against sin. How did Jesus do it? All of it was done on God's strength. And that's the same strength that we can draw on in the face of temptation. You're not alone. That's the beautiful thing about this. You're never alone. God doesn't set up the rules and say, have at it. He's with you every step of the way, holding your hand and helping you to face it if you're willing to recognize that he's there and if you're willing to call on him for help. Sometimes we don't want help. I've, I've helped a lot of children who had no desire for my help. And it often comes with kicking and screaming and fussing. And sometimes that's how we are towards God, too. He's there. He's holding out his hand to us. He's ready to help us, but we kick and we scream and we fuss against him. But if we just calm ourselves down and look into his eyes and hold his hand, help is available and we're never alone. So how does Jesus draw on this help? He uses scripture and prayer as his two major weapons. And these can be our weapons too. They're still available to us just as they were available to Jesus. Temptation comes from the enemy who's the chief of all liars, as well as from the world, which has lots of things to tempt us and taunt us with, and from our own flesh, our own sinful desires that are baked into us from the fall, from our turning against God, in the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. All of this is lies. All of it is speaking untruth. All of us is tempting away from goodness with the promise of something better, but a promise that can never be fulfilled because it's empty. Satan is the chief of all liars, and he says to Jesus in the gospel today, 
To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Do you hear the lie in that? There's a couple of lies, actually. First of all, Satan is promising Jesus glory without suffering. Jesus knew that he had come into the world to die for us. Jesus knew that he had come into the world to suffer on the cross for our sin. It was a plan that he had hatched with God the Father right from the very moment of that first sin, thousands of years earlier. And so Satan is tempting Jesus with glory without suffering. But more than that, Satan says, all of this has been delivered to me and I offer it to whom I will. Satan doesn't have any of that. It doesn't belong to him. It's like standing outside your neighbor's house and offering it to someone. Hey, you could buy this house. I'll give it to you. It's not your house. It's not yours to give away. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Why would Jesus worship Satan? Jesus is God. But the temptation is there. Glory without suffering. How does Jesus respond? This temptation of Satan is exactly what he wants for us. He wants to break our trust in our loving Father, and he wants to turn our love away from God and towards him. Satan's goal was to displace God and put himself in God's place. And that's the same temptation that he offers to us each and every time. Don't listen to God. You can decide for yourself what's right and wrong. You can have it just the way you want it. Have it your way. That's Satan's temptation. But scripture and prayer are both ways that we can hear God's voice and remember his will for us. Remember, Satan's a liar. And the best way to combat a liar is with truth. And the best place to find truth is in God's word. And so how does Jesus respond to this temptation from Satan? As well as, by the way, to the other two temptations that we have listed here. And there were probably others. I would guess Jesus defeated them in the same way that he defeated the three that we have recorded here. But how does he deal with this one in particular? Jesus answered him, It is written. Where is it written? In the scriptures. Jesus answers him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus spots the lie, and he responds to the lie with the truth of God's word. Later in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, it talks about the whole armor of God, and the weapon that is given to us, the sword, is God's word. It is the weapon we have against the enemy to shoot down his lies and combat them with the truth. So we can combat Satan's temptations, the temptations of the world, the temptations of our flesh with the truth of God's word. But we can also go to God in prayer and ask him for strength. In Psalm 86, 
which is a prayer of, of King David. He's dealing with enemies that are crushing him on every side, pressing in on him. And he says to God, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your servant, give strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. We can call on God in the same way. God is ready to give us his strength. God is ready to sustain us, to save us, to deliver us. We just need to turn to him and call on him. And he's always mighty to save. And he's always faithful to deliver. God is faithful and he will bring us through the struggles and the temptations of this life. There's no promise in scripture that says you won't face temptation. In fact, it says just the opposite. That you will face temptation. But when you face temptation, this is a promise that comes to us from 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We can take comfort in that. That there's nothing that we're dealing with that somebody else hasn't dealt with too. There's no temptation you face that is not common to man. And sometimes it feels like we're struggling all on our own, that we're facing these temptations, these struggles all by ourselves. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that, that we're somehow unique and special in the sense that, that nobody else has possibly faced what we face. And so maybe we should just give in. But we can rely on the fact that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have faced the same things that we have. And Jesus himself has faced the same things that we have. And further, we have the promise of God that he won't let us be tempted beyond our ability, but that he will provide the way of escape. And so when we're tempted, we can lift up our eyes, we can look around us, and we can trust that God has already provided a door for us to exit. We need to lift it up to him in prayer. Ask for his help. Read his word. Engage his truth. Defeat the lies. And then when we make it to the other side, when we walk through that exit door, we can say, to God be the glory. He has brought me this far. And he will continue to walk with me all the days of my life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are a merciful Savior. We thank you that you have compassion for us and that you have faced every temptation that we have faced yet without sin. And so we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to humbly approach your throne of grace, that we might find mercy in your arms and grace to help in time of need. Help us to call on you when we struggle when we suffer, when we face temptations to sin. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us your strength, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with the truth of your word and help us to combat all the lies of the evil one. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.